there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of September 18th to September 20th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So apologies for the super late episode this week. Uh, as you can imagine, there is no real major releases on the horizon, and lackluster with lackluster box office, you know, there's really not much to talk about. So, and I was. Not even saying what I was going to put out an episode this week, but you know, for consistency's sake, I want to at least get something out there on your feed every week, even if it is a little bit late. Um, luckily, we had some movie dates that got shuffled around yesterday, uh, so that gave me enough content for this episode. So the big news is that Disney slash Fox has, as expected, updated the slate of films for the rest of the year and into next year. So without further ado, uh, Black Widow, which is the next Marvel Cinematic Universe film, is moving from November 6th of this year to May 7th, 2021. Moving to that May date, pushes off the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, or Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, the next MCU film, uh, from the May 7th date to a new July 9th, 2021 date. Um, For once, this is a slot that Disney wasn't originally holding onto, as far as I can remember. Um, There may have been something there at one point and Disney was just holding onto it. I don't remember. Um, I can't really find any old articles, unfortunately, because everyone online updates it as soon as there's uh, news. So as far as I can tell, this is a new date for Disney. Um, the Eternals, you know, the MCU film originally scheduled for November of this year, uh, got got pushed back to February twelfth next year. Um, got pushed back again to be a full year later on November fifth, twenty twenty one. I have a little bit of a speculation on why. Uh, you know, there's this odd reordering to come after Sanctuary instead of before, as initially intended. Um, what is worth noting, though, before I get to that, is that this was the date held by the third Spider-Man MCU film, the Far From Home series, uh, that got moved to December of next year as well. So it'll be the November uh, MCU, or Eternals, followed by um, Spider-Man in December, uh, which is also pretty nuts when you think about, you know, we're going to have a ton of uh, Marvel films next year after this being the first year where there are no MCU films being released since, I believe, 2009. Uh, let's see, the Steven Spielberg-directed West Side Story, uh, which was largely expected to be an awards contender, will be pushed back a year uh, from December 18th of this year to December 10th of 2021. Uh, this puts it back up against uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, uh, which is coming out uh, next summer. Deep Water, an erotic thriller directed by Adrian Lin and starring Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas, is moving from November 13th of this year to August 13th of next year. Uh, However, going in reverse, you know, uh, well, still move, staying within this year, uh, we have Death on the Nile, uh, which is the Fox sequel to the 2017 uh, Poirot, uh, you know, murder mystery, Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, it's moving from October 23rd this year to December 18th. Uh, also, we have the horror, now moving, the, moving in the opposite direction, we have the horror film, uh, The Empty Man from James Badesdale, uh, is, or Badsdale, um, is moving from December 4th of this year uh, to October 23rd, so switching places with uh, Death on the Nile. Uh, perhaps, you know, they wanted to have, you know, a... Uh, uh, more a more classic horror film in the October slot uh, since there are no real competition um, out there. Um, or there are some, but they're not very large. Um, now, the most curious move in this whole mix-up has been the lack of a move, actually. Uh, Pixar is not moving their film Soul from the November 20th release date this year, um, indicating they are still planning on having a theatrical release. 
Now, Disney wasn't the only one who has some new release dates. Uh, Sony moved their animated film from Lord and Miller, Connected, off of the release date, to, uh, which was on October 23rd, to a TBD date in the future, meaning we don't really have any major releases in October as far as I can tell. Um, and then DreamWorks moved their animated film, The Crudes, A New Age, uh, you know, or Crudes 2, which is a sequel, up from December 23rd to November 25th of this year. Um, my guess is that they didn't really want to have to try to compete against Wonder Woman 1984, who has that uh, holiday Christmas slot. Now, looking at what I would consider major releases for the rest of the year, it's pretty slim pickings. Um, there are some other wide releases, which I'm not going to really be considering in this coming up list. Um, and, and the big films that I'm thinking about are, you know, uh, on November 20th, we still have Soul and the James Bond film, No Time to Die. Uh, the 25th, we have the aforementioned Crudes 2, um, A New Age. Um, and then in December, we have Free Guy from Fox on the 11th. And then three films on the 18th, uh, Dune from Warner Brothers, Coming to America from Paramount, and the aforementioned Disney Fox, Death on the Nile. Um, relatively smaller films. There's also rumors that Coming to America is being swapped around potentially to Netflix. So, And then, of course, we have on December 25th, uh, Christmas Day, Wonder Woman 1984. So that's it. That's the list. Like what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight is maybe less movies coming out for the rest of the year that are considered wide, like major tentpole releases. That is not great for exhibition. But beyond things not being great, what does what do these moves tell me, and what is what do these mean? So first off, Black Widow moving uh, to a theatrical release next year as opposed to going to Disney Plus, as some were speculating might happen uh, after Mulan, the Mulan Disney Plus, Disney Plus premiere access situation, um, is you know the numbers on there, while they haven't released any official numbers, they generally have said, oh, it's good. But any corporate com- person is going to say that things are going well until, you know, maybe, an invest- maybe at the investor meeting coming up in October, um, Suffice to say, the fact that they are not sticking the MCU, the MCU films on Disney Plus, means it probably didn't do as well as they were hoping, or didn't reach a particular benchmark internally. Uh, so yeah, and and you know, I think there are a couple now. Now there is the curiosity of what I mentioned before why the Eternals is now uh, you know behind Shang Chi as opposed to in front of it as it was previously, um, and my guess is that it's probably. Marvel's play at another awards film like Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture. Uh, given that the director of The Eternals is Chloe Zhao, who is currently in the limelight uh, for you know potentially being Best Picture, Best Director film for this year, uh, more on that in a little bit later this episode, uh, Disney probably didn't want her competing with herself. Um, they are distributing her Fox film, Nomadland, which is getting all the hype. Uh, and so it would be really weird, that, you know, given that if The Eternals came out in February, they would be eligible for Best Picture and Best Director as well. They didn't want to distract from Nomadland potentially. So I think that's uh, why, partly, you know, why they wanted to move Chloe Zhao uh, off of the, the February date. And, you know, if they wanted to be a worst consideration film for next year, it has to be in the, the November stop. I don't think anything really in the in the um in the summer blockbuster slot is going to get much consideration uh for for award shows that's just how it is now most importantly though this means that new mutants is the highest ghosting marvel film of the year 
Okay, that was a bit of a joke, but uh, it's, t- it's late. I'm tired, but anyway. Uh, Pixar's soul not moving is also pretty odd. Um, there are a couple of possibilities that may be true in some combination. Uh, one, this is Disney's plan to have it compete for Best Animated Picture this year. I can't really think of anything else other that would be there maybe onward, but that wasn't super, super well-received. Uh, so they probably have this category on lock if uh, Pixar Souls come out this year. Uh, moving to next year means that Pixar will be competing against itself with their other film, Luca, coming in June. And then similarly, Raya and the Last Dragon from Disney Animated Films is coming out on March 12th. And that's already enough competition within the Disney family. Uh, secondly, you know there is no word currently if Soul will be coming out on Disney Plus or not. Again, we'll wait to see on the investor call in early October. Um, now there are some conflicting rumors that it would will go on it, it won't go it go on it. Um, they go both ways, so I don't you know nothing confirmed yet. Um, on the pro going on Disney Plus side, you know there's the there's the fact that it's not as part of a large narrative structure like the MCU films are, so it might be able to weather being an independent film. Um, you know Pixar already did this with Onward after. It came out in theaters right as the pandemic was coming out. Um, you know, they ended up putting it pretty quickly on uh, Disney Plus. So I think that may be more trying to capitalize on people signing up for streaming services at the start of the pandemic. Um, the fact that it's an animated film is in its favor. You know, the big ones this year that have come out on um, on streaming is uh, you know Twelve's World Tour and uh, Scoob to some degree. Um, though they didn't do particular super super great, so you know that, that may be both for and against it. But the fact that it's an animated film targeted toward kids might make it a little bit more palatable uh, to um, have uh, on Disney Plus. Um, now the other fl- on the flip side is the fact that. Pixar films in general, compared to other Disney films, especially Marvel films, tend to do a little bit better internationally as compared to you know other films. So the fact that the international markets uh, have more or less recovered from COVID for now before the second wave comes out means that there is hope that if it, even if it doesn't do well domestically, uh, you know because of limited you know theater taste people going to the theater and abroad, it could you know help make up the budget and and break even right. Um, so, you know, it is set to be the opening film of the Rome Film Festival. Um, and so, yeah, Disney definitely has its reasons for keeping Soul, whether it be, you know, in November, whether it be an abbreviated theatrical run before moving to VOD and Disney Plus, or simply doing all Disney Plus, um, or maybe doing Disney Plus domestically and then theatrically abroad, or even just sticking to pure theatrical release. We don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, as of now, we're just expecting it to be a theatrical release. Now, one other factor I haven't mentioned with all of these moves is I think the fact that they're trying to clear their slate out um, of the big films like like Black Widow is that you know Disney has a bunch of Disney Plus TV shows coming later in Q4. Uh, Mandalorian is set to premiere at the end of October into November, and remember those don't drop all at once like on Netflix; they drop week by week. So um, you know the the there'll be several weeks of the Mandalorian kind of being the big water cooler talk um, of stuff to see on Disney plus, um, which I don't think they want to distract from that. And then secondly, uh, WandaVision, which is the first MCU TV series, uh, which had a really amazing trailer that came out actually. And people seem to respond to it pretty well. It's supposed to come out in December and presumably for a number of episodes um, going into 2021. So that might be why, you know, they didn't try to have like a November release against Wonder Woman. Um, so that might have given you know confidence to have Disney Plus ride on those shows, um, as opposed to you know trying to bolster it with some with another premiere access situation like with uh, 
um, with Mulan. You know, so they have you know the the MCU film stuff and, and Mandalorian on Disney Plus, Free Guy and Death on the Nile in theaters, and then some awards contenders in Nomadland and Soul. You know, on the larger landscape, you know things are definitely going to be rough again for exhibitors in the next few months with only limited limited really limited indie releases and then various horror films which don't have really broad appeal. Um, but on the bright side, I guess you know the threat of Disney Plus bringing blockbusters directly to streaming doesn't seem to be the case anymore given the lukewarm reception to Mulan. Now, we were talking about awards for a, sec- a second ago. Um, the Toronto International Film Festival just wrapped up its virtual run this year, and the coveted People's Choice Award went to Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. Uh, between that and the Venice Film Festival's Golden Lion win, I would say this pretty much guarantees at least a nomination for Best Director and Best Picture um, for this film, and puts it you know, on the betting market uh, among the front runners for winning the whole thing. You know that Marvel is definitely going to be using this in the marketing for Eternals either way, um, all the more so if she wins. Uh, also, you know, I believe this is the first time in a while that the top award in both of these film festivals have gone to the same film. Uh, Cannes, you know, the Golden Palm, uh, which Parasite won, uh, is not running this year in competition. So I don't know if there's any other top prizes for major film festivals yet, or even what major film festivals are, are left. I know New York Film Festival uh, is currently running virtually and in driving theaters here in the city. Um, Telluride, I think, is coming out virtually as well. Um, I don't think there's an award associated with that. So, you you know, um, you know, it is a longer extended award season, and distributors may be saving their budget for toward closer to the end of the February eligibility deadline. So it's fresh in voters' minds for the you know for your consideration campaigns. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to wait and see on how that shakes out. Again, I do have another podcast, the Oscars Death Race podcast, which is starting up in February again once we're getting closer to the date. Um, one other notable contender that's coming out of Toronto is Regina King's directorial debut, One Night in Miami. It's based off of a stage play of the same name, and they actually sold the film to Amazon Studios. Uh, so, you know, good on everyone all around. Amazon for picking this up, Regina King and team for, you know, getting a payday. Um, no numbers, no details on the numbers yet, um, but apparently it was one of the biggest sales in history for an independent film. All right, moving out of the domestic box office, let's blow, th- moving to the domestic box office, my bad. Uh, let's blow through these quickly. Uh, in first place, to no surprise, is Chris Nolan's Tenet grossing $4.7 million, a 30% drop versus last week in 2,930 theaters, per theater average of 1,604 in its third weekend. Uh, total so far in the U.S., just north of $36 million. Um, internationally, it has cleared $250 million, so great great job there. I think it made its... At its budget, though, obviously there's a um, ton of uh, you know marketing stuff that goes into there, but I think it's getting close to the point where maybe it'll be break even, not necessarily um, not necessarily profitable though. Um, but that is good for the fourth highest grossing film of the year, and it only has up to go. Uh, its opening weekend this weekend in Japan got it to the top of the charts there with a 4.3 million, which is pretty solid uh, for the uh, for that region. Before we come back to domestic quick side note, I want to give a shout out to Kyoto Animation and their film Violet Evergarden, the movie, came in second over the third day in three-day weekend in Japan with 3.6 million US dollars. Uh, we've talked before, I think on the second episode of this podcast, on how much Japan loves animation, but you know, Violet Evergarden is apparently very, very popular, especially so in Japan. Not quite as much here, though I definitely have seen a lot of cosplay of it uh, at various conventions here. 
uh, when we had conventions. I haven't seen Violet Evergarden myself, um, but it is always nice to see anime films near the top of these charts. This is actually the second Violet Evergarden movie from the studio. Um, this one that just released is the second best from the studio uh, behind the film A Silent Voice. Uh, that one I have seen, and it definitely deserves, um, you know, you know, uh, being at the top, I think it was like a four four point one million on its release date. So, um, yeah. Anyway, back to domestic. In second place, we had the New Mutants, as we noted, the highest grossing Marvel film of the year, um, made one point six million at twenty two percent drop versus last week. Not bad. Uh, in two thousand five hundred eighteen theaters for a per theater average of six hundred fifty eight. Total domestically is seventeen point seven million in week four, and is up to thirty one million in that worldwide. Next, in third place, we had a new film, Infidel. It is a political action thriller set in Iran, produced by conservative political pundit Dinesh D'Souza and distributed by Cloudburst Entertainment, who I'd never heard of before. Uh, Made $1.5 million in 1724 theaters, per theater average 870. Um, Interesting to see that this is... You know, more successful, relatively the more successful, relatively speaking, independent films are targeted toward older males. You know, another one like this was Unhinged. Um, perhaps something about the states where pandemic is seen as not as serious has more has more the type of guy who would go to see this in theaters. Um, anyway, speaking of Unhinged, they came in from Solstice at 1.3 million this weekend, 15% drop in 2,324 theaters per theater average of 551 in um, in their I think week six. Um, worldwide gross is at 25 million and finally in fifth place Broken Hearts Gallery from Sony in its second weekend made 800,000 in 2,221 theaters 29% drop per theater average is 361 worldwide gross just under 3 million pretty much all here in the states uh, total box office for this week is 11.4 million. Comparatively, last week the total box office was 123 million, with openers such as Downton Abbey at 31 million, Ad Astra at 19 million, and Rambo: The Last Blood at 18 million, all in the top three. So you know, Rambo: The Last Blood made more than the entire box office did uh, in its opening weekend, and the entire box office did this year. So. Uh, last week was 12.5 million, so we also have a little bit of drop week to week. Um, there is a rumor going around that we're going to see theater, movie theaters, especially from the big chains, start to reclose again uh, due to the lack of films coming out for the next couple of months, which I wouldn't blame them. It costs money to keep these things open. So uh, what can you do? Now, two big stories out of China this weekend. First, Mulan. Uh, it, and second weekend, ended up having a, se- a miserable 72% drop. Uh, made 23 million US dollars last weekend to 6 million this weekend that's pretty terrible and this thing is going to have no legs whatsoever i don't even want to guess try to figure out like what the expected final number is probably like in the 40 million dollar range maybe less 35 no no i think it'll be yeah yeah somewhere in like the high 30s low 40s um but yeah i mean that, that was the base we already talked last week about what it did wrong so it did outperform Tenet this week. Uh, it came in at 5.5 million versus uh, Mulan's six. Um, but however, Tenet had a 47% drop only versus the 72% from Mulan. So if those hold to next weekend, Tenet should be on top of Mulan once again. Uh, so far, uh, Mulan has grossed 37 million in China. 
the other big news is that the film The 800, uh, which dropped only 19% from last week's numbers, uh, made 17.6 million US, uh, enough to put it at about 420 million to date. Uh, depending on your source of box office numbers, this puts it on track, if not already at, the highest grossing film of 2020 worldwide, ahead of Sony's Bad Boys for Life. So props to uh, the 800, props to the team there. Um, this is pretty huge as this is the first time in modern cinematic history that the Chinese film is going to be the highest grossing film of the year. So does this mark a new era of box office? Potentially, um, but it's kind of been a long time coming. So. China Exhibition is looking to increase its capacity of its movie theaters from 50% to 75% this coming weekend, so that goes well for the box office even further. Also, one more thing on the international news, it is worth noting that many European countries are starting to see, uh, as the colder weather rolls in, a so-called second wave of the COVID cases. Must be nice to have a second wave if you've gotten out of the first one, which we haven't here in the States yet. Uh, this could have a significant impact, though, on the release calendar. As we noted before, Soul and No Time to Die um, are still slated for this year's release, I guess primarily due to the fact that they are more reliant on international numbers than they are on domestic you know, US numbers um, to be you know, be, be profitable at the very least break even. Um, Bond especially so. Uh, if the UK goes dark because of the second wave of COVID, you know, goes dark in, in movie theaters, um, I could see No Time Die getting pushed again uh, to maybe that February spot, you know, that 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 got left open from uh, the Eternals moving. So, you know, obviously we'll have to wait and see how this pans out, you know, closer to November. Hopefully people can get it under control by then. But yeah, I mean, things are tense. All right, a couple smaller exhibition updates. Um, not quite exhibition, actually, first off, but um, the parent company of the trade publication Variety and Deadline, I've referenced them both on the show all the time, uh, Penske Media Group has made a deal with MRC, the parent company of Billboard, Vibe, and Hollywood Reporter, to operate them under a joint venture. Uh, hopefully, this does not mean too much difference in terms of box office coverage. You know, definitely love uh, the stuff that Deadline puts out. They have some of the best in the industry, so uh, we'll see. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back, the fifth uh, and arguably best uh, Star Wars film, is hitting theaters this weekend for the 40th anniversary. Obviously not the best time to go to theaters, but... I guess, you know, it is what it is. Um, secondly, third, you know, we have, you know, with the passing of Chief Justice of uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or RBG, um, there were two films in recent years, RBG and On the Basis of Sex, based on her life that are set to be re-released in theaters in light of her death. Uh, kind of similar to how Chadwick Boseman's films came back to theaters. Um, there is also a documentary that just got completed by her called Ruth uh, that's currently being swapped around town for potential distributors. I could definitely see a quick deal being made to try to get it out before the election coming up, which, reminder, uh, if you haven't registered to go vote, please register and then go vote. Uh, next, let's see. Some other stuff. Joaquin Phoenix was apparently offered $50 million to do two Joker sequels. No word if he's accepted. Um, you know, I really think Joker was great as a standalone film. That's part of why its appeal, especially the critics, was that it didn't really seem like a franchise. But, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is the kind of actor where if he signs on to something, he's really excited about it. So, we'll see. Um, let's see. Batman, uh, speaking of Gotham, uh, Batman resumes production. Uh, this is the Robert Pattinson film. Uh, Got, got shut down after the lead actor uh, was, you know, uh, got a positive COVID test. Um, resuming production has resumed um, after that. Um, there's also a report, kind of on a later note, that apparently three million in, in testing alone has already been spent on the set of Jurassic World 
Jurassic World Dominion, uh, which you know is going to be say to be one of the big blockbusters for next year if we have blockbusters again, uh, which kind of shows how uh, COVID is affecting not only the exhibition and distribution market but also the production side of things, uh, raising the cost. Even if you know three million and like a two hundred million budget, not the biggest thing, but it's not nothing, right? Um, let's see. Uh, Selena Gomez is apparently promoted to executive producer on the pretty successful, surprisingly, Hotel Transylvania films. Um, they have a new date, August 26, 2021. I'm not sure what, why that is. You know, the past films have either been around the Halloween, uh, you know, the Halloween time, or uh, it was a summer vacation film, so, you know, set in the summer. Uh, we also got confirmation that the Super Mario film from Illumination, the producers of Minions, is coming out in 2022 with uh, f- with video game legend Sugeru Miyamoto acting as executive producer. Uh, and then finally, Anis Chagnati's film Run, which is he's the same director who made that John Cho film Searching a couple years back, which I really enjoyed. Um, that His new film Run is set to premiere on Hulu on November 20th. Uh, that kind of brings us nicely to the streaming news, which we'll use to wrap up the show. Uh, first, big news: uh, NBC Universal, a, the owners of Peacock. Remember, they did, when they first premiered, they did not come out on Roku and Amazon uh, TVs, uh, which make about seventy percent of the domestic market. Well, NBC and Roku have come to an agreement, and Peacock will soon be coming to a smart TV near you if you own a Roku TV. Um, so yeah, we're still waiting to see if uh, Amazon, you know, they're able to work something out. I'm not really sure what they actually conceded on either side. I know there were concerns about, you know, would some, maybe Roku get some of the ad revenue uh, within Peacock? Um, I'm not certain. Obviously, the deals aren't being made public, but that is a big win for NBC Universal. They also confirmed that their, you know, pre-existing NBC Universal TV apps will stay on the Roku TV. Um, of course, you know, HBO Max has not yet made these deals, and they were the other major streaming service that launched without Amazon and Roku. So we'll see if they're able to make any headwind uh, while NBC Universal and Peacock get ahead. Uh, speaking of HBO, uh, DC Universe, uh, which is a streaming service uh, primarily for DC-related cartoons and, and other original shows, um, is going to be folded into HBO Max, and they are ending production on new scripted shows. So... Um, you know, more consolidation there, which kind of made sense, you know, not ha- having two VOD services didn't really make sense for uh, Warner Media. Um, back to Peacock real quick, actually. They announced that they were at 15 million users just two months post-launch. Um, grain of salt there, we don't know how many of those 15 million users are free users versus paid users. And we also don't know if those are just users or accounts that have signed up versus actual active users. Um, in comparison, though, CBS All Access currently sits at about 16 million users. Speaking of CBS All Access, they actually announced that they are rebranding the service, which we knew, right? We knew they were going to be rebranding it in 2021. That's why the SpongeBob movie got pulled off the release schedule. Well, they also have a new name coming with it called Paramount Plus. Um, I see that they're casting on to the Plus name that Disney used and hoping it, hoping it will bring them similar success. And also, hopefully, they do a better job than HBO Max did with their rebranding. Finally, um, well, almost finally, we have Quibi. Oh, Quibi. Uh, apparently, they are finally officially exploring quote-unquote options, uh, including a possible sale, uh, RIP Quibi 2020-2020. Um, I'm really curious who would be interested in paying for it and what the valuation ends up being. You know, They apparently spent like $2 billion on this 
complete flop. Um, I imagine most of the value that would be that is there to be picked up would be from the IP rights or whatever shows they were going to that were planning on coming out, um, maybe to be spun out into optioned into larger, longer content shows. So we'll see. Um, to end on a light note, that's not just kicking Kobe Rowland down, though. This does kind of incorporate some of it. I will point you to Screen Junkies. Um, they are, you know, of course, if you, there's a good chance you know who they are, but in case you didn't, pretty popular YouTube channel. Um, if you've seen any of the Honest Trailer YouTube, video, YouTube videos, these are them. They made an Honest Trailers for every streaming service ever, um, though slight quibble there they actually didn't include any of the anime streaming services but it's pretty funny especially if you funny follow this sort of streaming news um you know how they characterize all of these shows i'll link it in the sonas for you to take a look out to to give you give it a check with that that is the end of this episode of the box office watch podcast uh honestly i don't know like if i'll be keeping a regular schedule I'll, i'll definitely put something out every week no guarantees it'll be on tuesday as it is every week i'll do my best um we're looking at like two months of like no major movies coming out. So, aside from more streaming news and you know more movies getting moved around, you know I don't know what else I'm going to be covering. If you have ideas for what I should cover, uh, send me an email uh, at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. If you could leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on podchaser.com, that would be super helpful. Again, those links in the show notes. Numbers used in the show come from vnumbers.com. Intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff on incompetech.flowmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninsboy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, while there's not much to watch, our watch goes on. (laughs) 